Good to be back at Cornerstone. Y'all know Daniel be exaggerate, man. Gifted communicator. I can barely pronounce words that's got more than three syllables in it. That was, it was a, God had a sense of humor by making me a preacher. I'm like, I can barely talk. But then Moses. Amen. So just welcome. I just thank y'all again for allowing us to come back and serve with you. This time I brought my beautiful bride, Miss Leslie. Yeah. It'd be 20 years in two months. Now I know it's the grace of God. Because I married way up. Let me tell you something, Doc. So that's why I go hard for Jesus because, I mean, he gave me that. I can't help but serve him. But I'm so excited to be here today again. This is my third year, y'all. Y'all, I must be dead all right. Y'all let me come back two more times. Okay. So, I mean, but love Pastor Daniel. Uh, love Pastor Sean and his beautiful wife, Janice. They took us last night to get us some good seafood. We had a, amen, yeah. That's good. We had some good fellowship time, so just excited about the heart of this church and, and what you all mean to Gatson and uh, how intentional you all are in just carrying out the theme of the Bible, period. You know, so I'm so, so excited to be here. So excited to be a part of the Neighbors uh, series. You know, um, that's when he, when he called me about that, I was like, oh, bro, no, we got that. <laughs> you know, we, you know that, that, that's, that's where our heart is right now. You know, so, uh, and praying for Pastor Daniel as he bring the word as well. So excited about you guys coming down with us on November the 7th. Uh, for our block party. We actually got another church that you guys are going to be partnering with. So everybody was just calling us. So we got a church coming from Cincinnati, Ohio uh, called Crossroad Church. So we got Crossroad and Cornerstone coming down to service as well. We're going to have a block party. Well, of course, you know about the block party. We're going to have our Flatline Movement rappers. We're going to have a concert and everything. We're going to do a pull the trail up and we're going to use this as, a, as an opportunity to let the people know that we're back. Because some people don't know that we're back in since the corona. So you know, within our one-mile radius, our neighbors, just within one-mile radius of our church, we got 11,594 people. So just within a one-mile radius. So this is going to be great. Uh, it's it's going to be a great tool to do outreach and go, back, go out and hand out flyers and pray with people and let them know that Flatline is back. And then we're going to get a chance to see some people come to the Lord. I just believe that. Amen? Amen. All right. So... That picture that you might see up on the screen right there, when uh, Daniel, we was talking earlier this week, we were just texting about making sure everything is ready for, the, for this weekend. And I was actually in this meeting. So, and especially when he said, man, I want the theme to be, even though he had told me before, but he was reminding me, you know, preachers have to do that with preachers, man. He was reminding me of, of, of my portion and my part of the mission, uh, which was uh, uh, coming to the table. And when we were texting, which I should have been paying attention to my meeting, but we were, we were you know, we were actually have our meeting. I was like, man, I'm going to send this picture over. So it looked a little like all over the place, but that's Montgomery Baptist Association. Uh, I, you see me on the corner over there. Look like I'm really into what we're talking about. Amen. So, <laughs> uh, but I serve as a church planning strategist for Montgomery Baptist Association. And you'll see right across from me that little young fella. So he goes to Flatline Church, too. That's Jackson Cole. He's 19, 20 years old. Uh, he's our media guy, and he does, all, he does a lot of great technology stuff with us. And then uh, Brother John Fleming is the older uh, Anglo brother. Anglo mean white, right? So, <laughs> and then Tamika Moment 
Uh, what, what, what my sister that was you been dealing with Tamika? Where she at? There she goes. Tamika keep me straight, y'all. She's my ministry assistant, right? She keep me straight because Leslie, it's just too much for Leslie. So she'll have to keep all the clerical stuff, make sure I'm be at all my appointments. But she's the ministry assistant for the pastors at Flatline. And she's also the ministry assistant for uh, Montgomery Baptist Association. She's a member of our church. And then Brother Neil, he's uh, on the corner with the blue shirt on. He's the director of mission. And then that's Miss Donna, Miss Susan, and Brother John Yee. He's all out. He's our Asian strategist uh, for the state. So we have a very diverse uh, association. It was told to us that we have probably one of the most diverse uh, staff in the state of Alabama. Probably somebody even said the world. But if you look around that table, we're talking about coming to the table. You look around that table, you see a lot of different perspectives in regards of mission and in regards of the gospel because there are many ways to Jesus but there's only one way to God the Father many ways to Jesus but there's only one way to God John 14 6 Jesus said I'm the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through me but then I think what we've messed up over the years we thought there's only one way to Jesus right just like we're doing you're gonna see a rap concert rappers in the bible right i think i broke that down for y'all last time rap mean rhyming poetry and if you look at the book of psalms it's a poetic book book of song of Solomon is a poetic book ecclesiastes is a poetic book job is a poetic book and in the book of psalms it's even rhyming now the bible said david danced out of clothes y'all <laughs> we don't know what kind of music he was listening to but we're gonna find out when we get to heaven but there are many ways to Jesus. And we've kind of, we don't bring our neighbors around our table because we think that sometimes we think that we're the only ones that got the truth. Right? So why is it, why is it, an, it important to bring our neighbors to the table? Right? Because the church is supposed to be leading the charge in unity. Not the world. And see, when the world try to lead the charge in unity, they mess it up. You know, they accept, you're supposed to accept everybody, but you don't accept anything. You understand what I'm saying? You accept everybody, but you don't accept every, anything, right? So if you can come to the table, but if you come to the table to glorify sin, then nah, that ain't going to work. But I suppose to accept anybody, right? So Jesus says it. Why is it important? Again, we're going to stick to this neighbor thing. Uh, Matthew 22, 36, 40. Now, this is not on your note because it just hit me this morning here. But uh, it said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you shall love with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments hang the whole law and the prophet. So basically, God was just telling us, listen, all, you know, it's 613 laws and the Levitical law and all this other stuff like that. But Jesus said, if you want to please me, love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And then he said, do the same by loving your neighbor. He said, loving your neighbor is just like loving me. Like, if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love me. If you love me and you don't love your neighbor, it's, it's a contradiction. You can't, you can't do it. So, <clears throat> We're going to look at John, and I'm not going to really exegete John 17, 22 to 23, because it's so clear. It just clears all, all outdoors what God wants to do. But I am going to look at three reasons what I believe hinders us as a church body from loving our neighbors and allowing our neighbors to come to the table with their perspective, right? 
John chapter 17, verse 22 to 23 reads, uh, the glory which you have given me, I also have given to them. This is Jesus talking. So that they may be one, just as we are one. In the, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, that you love them, and just as you loved me. Now that sounds difficult, but it's really not. Jesus basically saying that. Because he, he had a little concern that his disciples was not really functioning in unity. And I believe God still got that same concern with us today. He said the world need to know. He said they need to know three things. They need to know that one, that you sent me, Father. Because he's actually praying for us. He, he said they, they also need to know that you love them. And then he said, and, and they need to know that you love them just like you love me. And they should be loving each other the way that you love me. And that's, that's what God wants from us. That we love other folks the way God the Father loved his son. Now that's a high standard, ain't it? So you can't do that outside of the Holy Ghost. Because folks cut up sometimes, right? Sometimes it seems like it's it hard to, listen, it's hard to like people, but it shouldn't be hard to love nobody. I'm going to say it again. It's, it's, sometimes it is hard to like people. But because they're God creation, it shouldn't be hard to love nobody. So if you love somebody, you'll watch what you say, you'll watch what you do. But we're going to look at three different reasons or ideas or thoughts that sometimes even keeping us from loving folks. We don't like them and we don't love them. And we say we love Jesus. And Jesus just said, no, 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 I need you to love everybody that, because God wrote his law on the heart of every human being that he created. And he said he's not just like the brother was just singing. Praise God for the worship team, too. Brother was just singing, um, uh, 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 God is almighty. When we look around in the world sometimes, we think that he's not. Like, it don't seem like God's so mighty because look at all what's going on. But Jesus tells us in First Peter, he said, listen, he said, I'm not slow in concerning my promise. I see what's going on. I'm trying to give people an opportunity to repent because he can come back and wipe all this mess out. But while he's giving people the opportunity to to repent, we got to go, go out and do mission and share the gospel. Because some people just don't know. I didn't know. Most of y'all know my story. I didn't hear the gospel until I was 26 years old. February 3rd, 2002, at 11.17 a.m., I did not know the gospel. I knew about Jesus. I knew about this white, blue-eyed, blonde hair, perky lip, feminine-looking Jesus. And in my mind, that ain't got nothing to do with me. So I was never even interested in it. Right, but it was to the, it was to, it was until someone brought the commandment, the gospel, then sin revived in me. Then I realized I need him. I don't care what how he look, I need him. Then I learned that he's from Nazareth. He's not from Europe. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> right, so this is what we gotta this is what we gotta understand here. We serve the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But there's an unholy trinity that we got to deal with, which is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all the, sometimes we, we got to stop blaming everything on the devil. Some of this stuff is our flesh, and some of this stuff is just influence from the world that causes us to, to not love our neighbor the way Jesus commands us to love our neighbor. So God tells us in 2 Corinthians 6.3, this might not be on your notes, so just write it down. He said, we should not be given no reason for taking offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. 
So often, y'all, the ministry of Jesus is discredited because of hindrances that we set up. Things that are we doing, people don't trust the gospel. People don't trust the Bible because of how his folks are acting. Now, we're going to, again, what are some reasons or some mindset that discredit the ministry or stop the unity of God or becoming one flock with one shepherd? And we're going to look at three different points. The first point is, or the first mindset that hinders us sometimes, is we, we have that mindset of, I'd rather have a monologue than a dialogue. Now, monologue is when I'm coming to you and I'm having a conversation, but I already made up in my mind where I need this conversation to go. I'm really not trying to dialogue and listen at your perspective. I already made up in my mind what I'm trying to aim at. And let's, let's be real. Some of, the, some of the things that are being used right now that's being perverted to keep us apart, things like politics. Now, y'all, I said this before. I think I said it here. I don't care about the dunk or the elephant. My, my main focus is on the lamb. I, I ain't caught up on the right wing or the left wing because that whole bird broke. There ain't a law that a politician can put in place that's going to legislate the heart. It didn't matter who was in office when I got saved. I was out here doing all that crazy stuff. And if you want to know more, just read my book. I mean, from gangs to drugs to all kind of stuff. But it was, it, it, it was not until the law came, until the word of God came, that changed me. I didn't care who was in office. So God is up to the church to make good neighbors. Because, listen, let me tell you something. We worry about what's going on in the White House. God ain't going to fix the White House until he fix the church house. So we got to get right first. So let's look at the first point, monologue versus dialogue. And it's a perfect scripture in the word of God, a perfect uh, uh, text. I think probably the best one in the, in the word of God that deals with this comes out of Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. But before I read that, let me read you a little research from a trusted source that we as Baptists trust, Lifeway Research, right? I know, I, I praise the Lord, I had a chance to preach at Lifeway Conference back in, I don't know, two, three months ago. Amen. Great things came out of that because I you know. Now, Tony Evans is a part of the ministry, partner with the ministry, so it's great. I'll tell you about that another day. But let me read something that they wrote in 2019. And now, this is before Corona. So, because we, we use Corona sometime and saying that's why the church is declining, whatever. So, I'm going to read a research that they wrote in 2019. It says, a growing number of Southern Baptist churches are home to a shrinking number of Southern Baptists. Total membership in the Southern Baptist Convention fell almost 2% to 14,525,579 from 2018 to 2019, according to the annual church profile compiled by Lifeway Christian Resources uh, in cooperation with Baptist State Convention. The decline of 287,655 members is the largest single-year drop in more than 100 years. Now, this is in 2019, this before the corona. Why in the world is the church declining? Right? So now let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. It says, Now at this time the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So that the twelve summoned, so the twelve, the apostles summoned the congregation 
of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Verse 3, instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The announcement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Parchorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paramenus, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought these men before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem as and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, let's look at this, right? Because when you see that, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, that's normally our deacon, where we choose our deacon from, right? I mean, we get that. That's what it then turned into. But if you look at the correct context of this right here, it really was... It was a glorified Meals on Wheel program. It was just him, him, right? <laughs> so you had two different Christian groups with a complaint, legitimate complaint. You had the Hellenistic Jews and you had the Hebrew Jews. And one of these groups said, man, we feel like we're being left out. We're being neglected. So then they took that problem to the church. And the Bible said they summoned the 12, that's the 12 of summoned the church, I mean, summoned the congregation and said, I'm going to leave this up to y'all. Y'all go pick out seven men from among you. And he laid out the different qualifications, even just to go serve food. But if you look at the names of these, so, so first of all, let me give you a little black background. The Hellenist Jews, was a, they, 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 were, they were some believers that were from Greece. They weren't from Jerusalem. So they kind of like the outsiders. They, they, they not, it's like they come over to this country, but they believers, but then they complaining about some things that are being left out. So look, look how the church responded. The church didn't ask all these different questions or try to police them to see if they're telling the truth. They just told them what to do. Go, go pick out these men and, and bring them. We're going to put them in charge. And out of seven of those names, five of those names are Grecian names. So what the church, the way the church responded to it, these are the ones who got the complaint. And these are the ones that I'm going to allow to come to the table to make decisions on how the ministry is being ran. Think sometime with us in America, you have a group that making complaints about an issue, but that group is never allowed to come to the table to be a part of the solution. They're, they're not invited to the table. But they're the one making the complaint. But the church didn't respond that way. And then if you read all the way down to verse 7, look what happened. Now, I just read you the stats from what's going on in the SBC in 2019. It's still going on. The church is declining. But if you look at verse 7, after, after the, uh, uh, the people who made the complaints came to the church, the church gave them some instruction uh, and, and put people in charge that was part of the group that was complaining. Look at what verse 7 said. It said, the word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples to continue to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the preachers was becoming obedient to the faith. So when you follow the principle that's set up the way the Bible has set up, the church grows, the church don't decline. And I think we're declining because we ignore the principles that has been laid out for us to follow. 
So whoever, whatever Christian group, we're not talking about the world. The world going to be the world. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about those, these are believers. These are two groups of believers from two different ethnic backgrounds, from two different cultures. They brought their complaint to the church, and the church responded by saying, pick some leader, because I know there's some qualified people in your group. There's some qualified people. And we had this excuse, I can't find nobody qualified. Yes, you, you ain't looking. Pray first. Get on your knees and ask the Lord. Send me somebody, especially if your group is multicultural around you. Ask God. Amen. <laughs> All right, the second mindset that causes us or hinders us from allowing um, our neighbors to come around the tables is that we want to have optimism without lamentations. We want to have we want to be optimistic about a situation without lamenting. Now, there's a lament is the major lament is a major theme in the Bible, and particularly in the Book of Psalms. To lament is to express deep sorrow, grief, or regret. The Psalms of lament are beautiful poems or hymns expressing human struggles. The Psalms of lament comprise the largest category in Psalms, making up about two thirds of the entire Book of Psalms. These Psalms are prayers that lay out a troubling situation in the Lord, to the Lord, and make a request for help. So watch this. This is why I bring up lament. Because when you hear people lamenting, if you don't know the Lord, you'll think they're complaining. There's a difference between lamenting and complaining, especially as a believer. Man, when I first got saved in 2000, February, February 3rd, 2002, and about 2004, I became a, a student, I mean, like a real student of the Bible. And I used to think David had bipolar. I'm like, one minute, that joker, like, he's on a high, then he like, kill me, Lord, and then why are you letting this go on? But you're the best, Lord. I'm like, wait a minute, dude. And all this in one chapter. But then I learned what he was doing. He was lamenting. And lamenting is not, because I get this a lot with Dwayne, we just need to forget about the past and move on. No, nah, I don't forget about it. Don't live in it, but don't forget about it. What we need to do is lament about the past. And lament is not forgetting the hard things in the world. It's reflection. That reflection should lead to grief. That grief should lead to sorrow. And sometimes even weeping. And then that grief and sorrow and weeping should lead to prayer. Then that prayer should lead to hope, then that hope should lead to action. But what we try to do from an optimistic, we, we go straight to action and skip lament and wonder why we're not getting biblical results. Listen, lament out of the book of Psalms, 59 Psalms focuses on lament. Only 41 of those Psalms focus on praise. So reflection, we don't want to forget, we want to reflect. Because what have our forefathers has done, there are implications that affect groups of people to this day. Particularly being Daniel. Based on things that happened that our forefathers did. Well, I ain't never owned no slave. Well, yeah, you, you haven't. But your forefathers did. 
Think about what Daniel and Ezra and all these guys did once they found out what they daddy them did. The Bible said they ripped their clothes because they was ashamed of what they folks had did, even though they didn't do it. It's a biblical principle. Look at Psalm chapter uh, 10, verse 1 through 18. Because sometimes, let me just read it. It says, this is, matter of fact, I don't even say this day because actually I'm doing research. I don't know who wrote this Psalms right here. Um, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the needy. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. But the wicked boast of his soul's desire. And the greedy person curses and shows disrespect to the Lord. The wicked in his haughtiness does not seek him. There is no God in all his scheme. And he's just doing what he wants to do and he didn't even acknowledge him. His ways and, and his ways succeeds at all times. Seems like sometimes the world just do what they want to do, but it looks like they actually having success, right? Am I the only one think like that sometimes? Like you see, like, man, this dude, they don't even acknowledge you. But look how well it seems like they're doing. Right? It said, his ways succeed at all times, yet your judgments are on high, out of sight. Like, man, you don't, you know, just like, you just let him get away with it. As for all his enemies, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I would not be moved. Throughout the generation, I would not be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing, deceit, and oppression. Under his tongue is harm and injustice. Let me stop right there for a second. Listen. The Bible talks about injustice and equality all throughout Scripture, right? And we read, especially in the SBC world, because I'm here. <laughs> Shouldn't have let me in, but I'm here, right? But in this Word of God, justice and righteousness are in conjunction 106 times. So if they, in conjunction, meaning they marry, mean you can't have one without the other. Why don't we hear sermons about justice? Are we scared? Because if we preach this out of the Bible, somebody's going to label us CRT. CRT shouldn't be in the church, but justice and equality are already throughout the scriptures. So if they in conjunction 106 times, justice and righteousness, research it. Why we don't hear sermons on it? The Bible talks about it. If the Bible talks about it, I'm going to talk about it. I don't get what it is. Verse 8. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. He kills the innocent in the secret places. His eyes surreptitiously, I can't pronounce that word, watch for the unfortunate. He lurks in secret like a lion in his lair. He lurks to catch the needy. He catches the needy when he pulls them into his net. Then he crushes the needy one. He's talking about the oppressed people, how rich folks, unsaved, wicked people do to uh, uh, people who are weak, Right? Then he crushes the needed one who cowers. The unfortunate people fall by his mighty power. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, Lord. Now, he's going to go that shift in David. <laughs> you know, so he complaining. And then verse 12, is just like he just, something else just happened. He said, arise, Lord. God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why has the wicked treated God so disrespectfully? He has said to himself, you will not require an account. Verse 14, you have seen it, for you have looked at harm and propagation to take it into your hand. The unfortunate commits himself to you. You have been the helper of the orphan. Verse 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. And, and break the arm don't literally mean his arm. He's basically God saying, or well, uh, 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 the writer of, of this psalm is saying, 
strip his power away from him because he's doing wrong to people who, who can't help themselves. He said, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Seek out uh, his wickedness until you find none. The Lord, now he come to praise. So he goes from, from, from reflection, right? He goes, he, he goes to praying, and now he's finna go to praise, right? You, you watch it now. In uh, verse uh, 16, he come to praise. He said, the Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. Now listen to what he, what he called it. Well, we would think that he complaining. He said, you have heard the desire of the humble. He was lamenting. He wasn't complaining. And the Bible calls all of those scriptures up until 17, humble prayer. You have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will make your ear attentive to vindicate the orphan and the oppressed so that mankind, which is of the earth, will no longer cause terror. We want to get rid of terrorism. You see that right there? If we start lamenting, verse 18 said, we can actually stop terrorism. We try to stop terrorism through politics. God telling us to stop terrorism through lament. Y'all do believe the word of God, right? Sometimes God wants us to vocalize that pain and suffering, not ignore it, not forget about it. And see, lament is a form of worship, y'all. It's a very important part of the Christian experience. I think we have just Forgot about it. The whole, there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to lament. The book of Lamentations. I mean, it's a whole book about lamenting. Lament is not lack of faith. Again, it's not complaining. And see, optimism without lamentation is toxic positivity. You might have to be like Joe Osteen. Because that's toxic positivity. He just, uh, without dealing with any real issues, just be, think right. No, let's, let's reflect. Let's lament. Let's pray. Let's praise and let's act. Praise God. That's what y'all getting ready to do by coming to Montgomery. Y'all finna act. But let's not skip lamenting. Romans 12, 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is all throughout the scriptures. We can't be afraid to listen at people. Matter of fact, we should not be afraid. We should be afraid not to do it. And where's the best time to do that? Around the table, sharing a meal. Let me hear your heart. And I'm not interested in the monologue. I'm not ready to try to throw my Democrat or my Republican on you. Let me just hear your heart. How does this make you feel? And listen, that's being a good neighbor. And if sin is involved, lovingly call that out. Woo. Hallelujah. They're getting a little quiet in here. I hope y'all let me come back on fourth time. And the last one, I got to stay on my time here. The last reason of mindset, and I touched on it a little bit earlier, that I think, that I know hinders us from being a good neighbor 
and having people around your table, whether it's in association, whether it's in your church, or whether it's in your home, or whether it's at your business, is our ideology, some of us, not all of us, but it's somebody in that room because I wouldn't be here preaching it. Somebody, even if it ain't but one person, your ideology overrules your theology. Your ideology overrules your theology, meaning I'm more concerned about my worldly political belief than what the Bible actually says. And that would cause any of us, it would put up a barrier that would hinder us from being a good neighbor. Sometimes your ideology might be football. I ain't going to let you come sit at my table because you're an Auburn fan. What? I ain't going to invite you over to my house for dinner because you don't only like the same football team I like. That, that's when your ideology has overruled your theology. I rarely hear this verse of body of work being preached in the Churches and I'm SBC, so I'm gonna call S, I, I'm gonna say SBC. Now, praise the Lord, I get, a, I get a, they let me preach it, so I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna be quiet. I'm, I'm even preaching at the state convention. I was like, oh, for real? Okay, all right, let's do it. So, <laughs> but third point and third and final point ideology over the, theology. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Now, I hear a lot of scriptures, sermons preached on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, but it seems like they just 11 through 22 don't, it's not even in the Bible. But let's read it. Let's look at it. Let's really, really look at it. And we're going to close it out. Is this helping anybody? All right. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, it says, Therefore, remember that previously, previously, key word, you the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, Paul be somewhere sometime, which is performed by the flesh, by human hand. Remember, verse 12, remember that you were at the separate uh, remember that at that time, separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups. You see that people say they don't want to, we just one group, we want one race. No, the Bible deals with this stuff. Both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh expressed in ordinance so that in himself he might make the two one new person. In this way, establishing peace and that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put the death to hostility. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, look at that, y'all, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you all, you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in spirit. So that's 11 through 22. 
learn that. Because here, God lets us know what, what was done, the finished work on the cross has abolished anything that the enemy has set up to divide us. Any ideology, any, anything. We don't supposed to be divided. We're supposed to be, he, you see how he acknowledged both groups? We're supposed to be one with Christ. And there's another scripture on here that I, I, I wrote and I, I hit this morning. I want to I wanna read that one. Lord, have mercy. Show it to me, Jesus. Uh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. John chapter 10, verse 16. Even when you read John chapter 17, verse 22 through 23, Jesus was alluding back to what he had spoke earlier. In John chapter 10, verse 16, very important scripture, and it's not in your notes. It says, and I have other sheep that are not in this fold. Now, he's talking to his Jews. He was letting them know, like, listen, there are other sheep that I have that don't look like y'all. There are other sheep that I have that's not from Jerusalem. There are other sheep that I have. He said, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. Like, they're going to listen to me just like y'all listen to me. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Sometimes we act like we're serving by five different Jesuses. It ain't but one Jesus. Well, I mean, that's how we act sometimes. You serve the white Jesus, you serve the Chinese Jesus, you serve the blue Jesus, you serve the green Jesus. It one Jesus, he a Jew. He ain't white, he ain't from Europe, he ain't from Jamaica. He a Jew. That's why when he died on the cross, and, 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 and he was in the grave before God raised him up. Pilate said, I'm going to put on a tombstone, Jesus Christ, king of the white folk. <laughs> Is that what it said? Jesus Christ, king of the black folks. Jesus Christ, king of the Asians. It said, no. Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. So all of us need to just go back to the Bible. All of us. Because I deal with white cults and black cults. And all on wrong. The Bible is the only thing that's right. Amen. Come on now. We're going to get right up in here. All right, so let me teach you a little the, the, uh, uh, some theological terms that's going to change you, right? And I, 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 and I taught this at a, at a youth uh, D now, and I was like, man, they got it. So I'm like, oh, well, grown folk can get it too then. Three words up here. Orthodoxy. Give me that slide. We're going to learn orthodoxy. Orthopraxy and orthopathy. Orthodoxy. Oh, my bad. He got it up there. Okay. Orthodoxy is having right belief. And that is often represented by the word of truth. So meaning that here in America, we, we, we pride ourselves. Make sure we don't bring no false doctrine up in here. Make sure we, we got to be right doctrine. We got to be correct. True. I'm 100% with you. But if you don't have orthodoxy, Praxy, even your orthodoxy ain't hitting on nothing. Orthopraxy is right practice. It's living out the known and the experienced truth of the Christian faith in love and justice. That's what orthopraxy means. Look it up. So if you're not living out orthopraxy, your orthodoxy diminishes your orthopathy, which is praise or right affections before God and your neighbor. So if you're not practicing what you read, 
or what you learned in Scripture, then God not even accepted your, he's not even accepting your praise. So it's very important that we just not be hearers of the word, but we be doers of the word. When we know it's sin and we still continue to do it, the Bible calls it sin, and then you got to give an account for that, which you can't pay that price. I wouldn't even want to risk standing before the Lord, knowing I've been reading with his principle that he's laid out in his word all these years, and then my heart stopped beating, and I stand before him, and he said, depart from me. I never knew you. And I started naming off his stuff. Well, I preached for you. I witnessed for you. I served in this church. I did this. I did that. I played in the band. I played the drums. I played the keyboard. I served. I was an usher. Yeah. But depart from me because I never was intimate with you, which brings up, I don't even think I gave you the title of the sermon. The title of the sermon is Into Me See. Intimacy, meaning intimacy. That's what intimacy means. Intimacy with God. He wants you to be able to see into him, and he wants to be able to see into you. And one thing about it, God knows our heart. We don't. The Bible says in Jeremiah, he said, the heart is wicked. We can't understand it, but God do. And you say, God knows my heart. Oh, yeah, he do. That's the scary part. He do know your heart. And it'll show here. He'll show is your, is your orthopraxy in line with your orthodoxy. Because if it is, it'll create orthopathy, which is right affections toward your neighbor. Amen? So we're going to line this thing up. If the scripture says it, if it's in the Bible, we're going to do it. Because we have the power to stop terrorism. We're thinking it's going to be a politician. It's on us. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Well, who else carry love outside of the believers? The Bible said God is love. They don't have love. They don't know Jesus, then they don't have God. We got that power, y'all. God has charged us to become one. He has charged us to be good neighbors. Evaluate, assess your life. When the last time you had somebody around your dinner table that does not have the same perspective as you? That does not look like you. Because the Bible deals with it. John chapter 4, verse, I'm looking at my time. I don't see it now. John, you better, you better put some time on him, boy. I'm black. I'll be preaching all day. Listen. <laughs> John chapter 4, verse 7 through 26. Listen, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But John chapter 4, verse 7 through 26. When God shows us that there's racial tension even back then. But how to deal with it? He did with the woman at the well. John chapter 4, verse 7 through 26. When he ran into this woman, he didn't run into her because it was set up. But she was at the well. Jesus said, give me a, give me a, give me a, give me a, give me a drink of water. And she said, now why are you asking me for that? Because you know your lips ain't going to even touch this cup. You know Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Two different people group. Then Jesus said, man, listen, if you knew who was asking you for that water, you'll ask me for some water because I'll give you some living water. She's like, ooh, wait. Tell me where to get that from. She's still in the, she, you know. And then Jesus said, go call your husband. He started witnessing to her. And she said, well, I ain't got no husband. He said, you're right. You've been married five times. That cat you shacking with right now ain't your husband. So now sin revived in her because he done brought the law into the, to the picture, the commandment. Then she said, ooh, you got to be a preacher. She said, but you know what? Because then when she realized she needed a savior, she said, when the Messiah come, he going to tell us all things. Like, he going to tell me how to deal with this. He said, the one you're talking to is him. So Jesus responded to racism without even responding to it. He just loved her to life. The Bible says she got saved and went back and told the whole town they got saved too. That's what he called us to do, church. Amen.
All right, can we pray?